those of you who have not seen Corey Feldman's documentary about the two Corys, oh my goodness, it absolutely blew me away. What those guys suffered as young people and the abuse that Corey is speaking about now is such an important story that needs to be heard. And in the description box below this video are links as to how you can watch it. And I urge as many people to do so as possible. Huge thank you to Corey for joining us. And if you've seen him speaking about the horrors of what happens in Hollywood, you can see he is full of passion. He's speaking from experience and he's just getting a real powerful message out there. So powerful, in fact, that the debut of the documentary was hacked. He is getting all kinds of threats to his life. And that has made him reconsider even doing a second part. So huge thank you for coming on, Corey. Just as background, could you tell us what got you into acting and how you ended up meeting Corey Haim? Okay, well, good to see you today, Sean. Um, what got me into acting was my parents. You know, there was no love for acting. There was no dream. There was no wish. There was no desire. I was three years old. In fact, most three-year-olds, I'm pretty sure, don't communicate to their parents any great desire for a future business endeavor. Uh, in fact, kids don't know what the words business or endeavor mean. So therefore, I had nothing to do with it, uh, which I think is one of the most troubling details of my whole story. The fact that I've never had a chance to live my own life. I've never had a chance to be the man I want to be or, or start any career path, any opportunity, because I've always been nailed down to this is who you are. You are world famous. Everybody knows you. People like to make fun of you. You're going to be harassed for the fact that you're famous. You're going to be bullied because you're famous. You're going to be sexually abused because you're famous. And now we have the right to make you a punching bag and a target because you're famous. And that's really the story of my life. And it's tragic. No child, no child should ever be put into the film industry until they are old enough to make that decision for themselves. It is a life sentence. It is a life sentence. And it's not just a life sentence, but it is intertwined into a dark world of, of selfishness, greed and what i'm learning more and more is a connection to the occult so you know i had no idea i was an innocent bystander and you know what the more i've learned the less i've participated in all of it i can't imagine the pressure you must have been under compounded then by the abuse which we're going to get to so how did you meet corey Haim? Um, well, Corey and I met through the set of Lost Boys. You know, we were both cast to be in the film together. Uh, and that, that's pretty well documented through the movie and, and in my book and, you know, many other ways that I've talked about it. And I'll also let you know something else, John, based on the incredible amount of abuse that I've endured in the last three years, the incredible amount of terror that my family and I have survived over the past few years. I am at a point where I don't even want to mention his name again. I mean, I really don't. I really don't. Because it's 
I love Corey. It's very hard to explain talking about your brother. You know, yes, we were actors together. Yes, we did a bunch of movies together. Yes, people see the on-screen part. But what people don't know and people don't realize was every minute that we spent together off-screen, which was constant. You know, we were inseparable. And anybody who knew us knew that, except for, of course, when he was living in Canada. He would go off to Canada and he would live there sometimes for six months, sometimes two years. When he wasn't working in Hollywood, you know, there were many years that he was, you know, forgotten and people didn't work with him at all. I was still, I was, I was in the same boat. The only difference is because I stayed here, I would get a lot of independent film offers. And every once in a while, a friend of mine from the industry would help me out and throw me a bone and give me some kind of legitimate work. So it, it built the story better where it looked like I had a more consistent career. But at the end of the day, we were both swept under the carpet the second we turned 18. And the thing is, is, you know, in starting this mission, I wouldn't have done it without Judy Haynes' permission. I wouldn't have started this without her permission. That's why we show in the film the emails back and forth between her and I as we were negotiating the terms of me doing my book because I wouldn't have done any of this without the permission of the mother of the child who was being abused. So it all started that way. And I mean, you know, one day I guess I would love to just put up the full emails. I don't know how much legal jeopardy I caused myself by doing that, but I would really like people to be able to read the whole entirety of the emails um, because it's, it's sickening and it's mind boggling when you see the fact that first of all a lot of it wasn't on email a lot of it was phone calls and conversations um right after Corey died i mean immediately after Corey died when i saw that he was ignored on the academy awards that's when i blew up that's when i went crazy when i saw that they did not give him the the the, the respect that he deserved first of all let me say he was a brilliant actor and when i say a brilliant actor I worked with some of the greatest legends of our time from Jason Robards, Harry Dean Stanton, I mean, uh, uh, Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, you know, I mean, just from across the board, you know, I've worked with everybody at some point. I mean, you know, literal legends like, like, uh, um, um, I'm trying to think of names right now, but uh, I'm drawing a blank, it's a bit, it's a bit early me here <laughs> um but, but but like if you think of like all the great comedy legends uh the people that you know really made like milton burl or or um ed asner or people that you know just all these people that have been around in in, in you know for history gene stapleton i mean historic acting legends and i've worked with all of them and there was something about corey Haim that was so unique and so original and the timing the timing that we shared together um the way that we could roll off of each other he would make a joke and i would know where to pick up i would make a joke he would know where to pick up the kind of timing that you saw with laurel and hardy uh the kind of timing that you saw with abbott and costello you know that great comedic pair which we experienced in our daily lives because we made each other laugh so much that we would cry. 
you know, and we would cry about the pain that we endured, but then we would laugh about it. And look, we were brothers. And when you're brothers, that's not to say that you're going to get along every day. You're going to have fights. And man, did we have fights. We had fizz fights. We went to fizz the cups. We had, you know, brawls. We, you know, he would sit there and tease me and, and poke at me and, and nudge me. And sometimes I wanted to strangle him. But that's what love is. That's what brothers are. And anybody who takes some little excerpt from a moment that Corey and I had a fight one day and Corey goes out to the press and decides to badmouth me and they'll take that little piece and go, look, you guys were never brothers. He, he couldn't stand you. He hated you. And you're like, you're going to take a clip out of a moment in time and, and hold that as this was our relationship. This is insanity. It's insanity. But anyway, the point being that when it, you know, you share that much love and you share that much brotherhood with an individual. And then, you know, I go to the mom and, you know, he passes away and I see what's happened to him. And I said, listen, we have to stop this. If we don't stand up for him now, if we don't tell people the truth that he was not a junkie, he was not some washed up movie star. He was not some just loser teen idol who couldn't get a job the way that they want to portray him, the way they want to portray me. No, none of that qualifies. What qualifies is one certain truth, that this was a brilliantly, wildly, incredibly talented man who was so severely abused and wrecked when he was 13 years old that he never was able to mentally recover he was never able to emotionally recover and he was never able to find peace in his heart. And this moment changed him so powerfully and intensely that he was never able to go back and say, this is who I am. This is my sexuality. This is what I want in life. He couldn't put those kind of basic protocols into place because for him, he didn't know what his sexuality was. He knew that he wanted to feel loved. He knew he loved women, but he also knew that all he could recognize was the fact that men wanted to be with him. Men wanted to take a part of him. Men abused him and took a part of him since he was a little boy. So that's why he was so confused in his mind. But at the end of the day, does that matter? Why would Judy care if Anybody, you know, her biggest concern is anybody might think that I'm trying to say he was gay. He wasn't gay, first of all. Secondly, who gives a crap? Like, if I was gay, I would openly admit I'm gay. If I, you know, I had sexual experiences with men. Did that cause gay tendencies? Absolutely. Because that's part of the residual effect of being sexually abused by the same sex. That's part of the residual effect. But yet, his mother is so terrified of people having that concept that that supposedly is the reason why she's done everything she's done. So let me just back up and say, when I, I first approached her and said, what are we going to do? She says, listen, I honestly didn't know. This is a conversation I shouldn't even be repeating it because I could probably, I don't know, whatever. I'm just going to tell you. Um, she said to me, you know, listen, I want the truth out there. I want people to know what he's been through. And I said, well, we've got to talk about the main one. 
And she kept saying, Dominic, Dominic, I want you to talk about Dominic. And I said, okay, I'll talk about Dominic, but you have to give me permission to talk about the others. And the first thing she said was, listen, just between you and I, honey, I didn't even know what happened, you know, on the set of Lucas until just a few years ago. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, he never told me when we were younger. And I said, that's not true, Judy, because I remember us all talking about it much earlier. Like when he was in his 20s, I remember us having those conversations. And she, for whatever reason, had blanked it out of her mind and said she didn't remember. And she said, no, it was like two years ago when he finally told me. And she sat and told me the incident of how she remembers him telling her. Now, after that point, um, I said to her, listen, we need to get together. We need to have a plan and we need to say the truth. And she said, yes, but I'm so afraid he's going to come after us. There's going to be repercussions. You know, it's going to destroy Corey's image. I said, no, it's not because we're speaking the truth. I said, you can't fear the truth. You have to just stand up for it. Corey's gone. We can't bring him back. We need to expose this now so that people remember that Corey was an amazing actor and a victim. And he was not a bad guy. He was not irresponsible. He was not stupid. He was not a bad person. He was a victim and people need to know. So she said, well, I don't think that you should be the one to say it. I think I should be the one to say it. And I said, I agree, you're his mom. I said, so how do you wanna do this? And she said, well, you're gonna write a book, right? I said, yes. She says, okay, well, you go ahead and write the book. And if you write the book in a way that you don't tell the name, but you kind of set it up, then I can write a kind of a sequel almost, like I'll write my own book and I'll tell my own version and then I'll give the rest of the details. And I said, well, that sounds great. I'll set it up you knock it down. And that was the agreement we made verbally to each other over the phone. Fast forward a year later, I have a rough draft of my book. I emailed Judy and said, this is what I'm planning to do. And again, she emphasized, you've got to bring up Dominic Brasha. Dominic Brasha, da, 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 you know, he was the worst one. Well, Dominic Brasha is a very interesting case. Because Dominic Braja wasn't the worst one because he didn't rape Corey, okay? Uh, it was a consensual relationship. And when I say consensual, Corey was a child, so there's nothing consensual about it. But the way it was talked about, the way it was discussed was open because, yes, Corey, <clears throat> Corey invited him there that day via me. And a lot of people online, you know, this wolf pack, these people that, that, that Judy's working with, um, they like to say that I introduced Corey and it's all my fault because I introduced him to a pedophile. That's one of the big things that they push around. What people fail to remember is that I was a child. What people fail to remember is that I was a virgin. What people fail to remember is that I had no idea of my own sexuality or anybody else's yet. I hadn't even gone down that road or explored it in any way. So I've got this kid who's like this wonderful kid and he's already becoming like my brother, but there's something wrong. 
And that something wrong is that he's over-sexualized and he's constantly talking about getting laid. And he's constantly talking about needing a woman, needing a woman, needing a woman. I said, I don't have a woman for you. And I didn't understand that. It was very scary and it was very confusing. I've never been hit on by somebody at all at that point and literally by somebody that was the same sex. It was very scary and I didn't understand it. And I knew he wasn't gay and I knew he loved women. So I really couldn't understand where it was coming from. And yet he had told me the story already because he told it to me the day that we met. You know, so all I kept thinking is, if this happened to you, why are you wanting to continue this? As a kid, you have no idea of this. You can't process this. Because how do you tell your friend, I'm not interested in that? How do you tell your friend, you know, that's not normal? So I tried in as many ways as I could, but he kept saying, invite somebody over, invite somebody over. And when I said, listen, I don't know any girls. I've never slept with a girl. The only thing I know is I go to these parties and I went to this party at this guy Alfie's house and there was this big fat guy there named Dominic who said that he was in love with you. And he says, well, invite him over, point blank. And I'm like, for what? He said, just invite him over. I said, Corey, I, I, what do you want me to do? I don't understand. He's like, just call him up, it's fine. I'll talk to him when he gets here. As a 14-year-old kid who's being told to do that by his friend, why would I do anything else? Because at the end of the day, I was trying to keep us out of a very awkward situation. And again, I was a child. And I was looking for any way to get out of this very uncomfortable, very awkward situation. And this was what he was requesting. Now, again, I didn't understand any of it. I didn't understand that this guy was, you know, going to be abusing him if he came over. I didn't understand that this was an adult and a child and this is illegal and you can't, like, I didn't get any of that. All I understood was he was asking if I knew anybody that wanted to sleep with him. And so I called the one person who had said, I'm in love with him, that I knew would come over and drop everything. So when that happened, they bonded in some weird way and they ran off together. Like literally left my apartment and ran off together. Okay, that's the part of the story that people don't understand. They were hanging around on a regular basis. Dominic drove him around. And anybody that was our friend back in the day knows this to be true. For people who have not watched the documentary then, how do predators access child actors? Everywhere. I mean, I don't know how it is these days because I'm not in the business, you know, on that end. I mean, I'm, I'm loosely in the business on the production end. You know, I haven't even started in a film in a couple of years um, because, you know, honestly, the number one, I've been completely preoccupied with this. But number two, um, I don't even know if I feel comfortable or safe on the sets anymore. I don't know who to trust. I don't know who my friends are. Nobody has stood up for me. Nobody is, has taken me under their wing and said, you know, this kid is telling a very important story and we need to listen 
I mean, you, you hear women reporting abuse on a regular basis and they get praised. You know, they say something and it's like, they don't even have to really show that there's any proof behind their allegations. All they have to do is say it. And they're, oh, these brave women, these brave women coming forward, let's support them. But yet I'm talking about kids getting raped and nobody, has supported me. You don't see any advertisements. You don't see any magazine ads. You don't see any hashtags. You don't see any, you know, video with a bunch of celebrities standing together saying, we're here for supporting Corey and his cause. You know, like you do with Me Too, like you do with Time's Up, like you do with all the other movements. We created Kids Too because kids should have been first. That's why I created Kids too, because kids should have always been first, but they weren't. They were swept under the carpet. And so it's very, very excruciating and, and exceedingly difficult to continue beating your head on a path that's getting nowhere. And that's where I'm at. And, and, and honestly, when I said at the beginning of this, I don't even want to talk about Corey anymore. I feel like after this interview, Sean, I may never discuss these things again. Yeah, I um, had a similar experience. I had a childhood friend. He's over on my shoulder. If you can see him, wild man. He died and his funeral was just before Christmas. And we were best friends yeah. from childhood. It's like we, we were one mind. We finished each other's sentences. And mm -hmm. to, to lose somebody that close, that one person who I was so synced with, really painful to go through that so i hear where you're coming from now to be propelled into the media spotlight at such a young age it must have been always hard throughout your life to determine who were your real friends and who were not do you think going through the situation now the people who have your back you've 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 proven who your real friends are now what real friends surely you have some people who have your back through all of this I have my family. I have a group of people on the internet called the Feld Fam. Some of them I know personally, very few. Um, it's, uh, I'd like to say that I had that support, Sean, but honestly, no. I had it for a minute before the film came out. It looked like it was gonna go the right direction. Everything looked like it was gonna go the way it should when this type of an expose comes out. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting a little chucked up. Um, chuffed, I guess, is what you would say. Um, leading up to the event, <clears throat> leading up to the premiere, every news media around the world was discussing this. Everybody was taking it seriously. And you would think that when the movie came out, I said that Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar stole my McNuggets. That's what you would think I put in that movie based on the reaction that it got from Hollywood and from the media. Because there was two stories, two stories ready to go in the media the day after the film's premiere. The first story, which they were hoping would fly, was that the movie never played, was that the movie didn't happen because it didn't exist and that it was all a scam and that I was simply scamming money out of my fans 
by building all this buildup and lead up to a movie that didn't really exist. And I just used this as a way to get money and attention for myself, but I never actually had the courage to tell any story because it was all a lie. That story did come out at 5 a.m. I saw it roll across the press. The only problem was when they planned this entire stunt, and this was a very well-organized, multi-million dollar event that they produced, okay, which was the hacking, the stealing, the piracy of my film. And I'll go into that, the complications of how intricate it was in a moment. But the fact that they were able to, in front of a live audience, in real time, shut down my movie in front of the entire world. And the next day, not one single reporter questioned who was behind it. Not one, not one. All the media was there in the room. NBC, CBS, uh, 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 Entertainment Weekly, Los Angeles Times, they were all there. So how is it possible that the next day, nobody had any query into how did this happen? Who was behind the hack? Is there a conspiracy to silence Corey? Well, let's investigate these claims. None of it, zero, zilch, none. Okay, have you ever seen that from any powerful documentary being released ever? No. In your lifetime? No. It's never happened. Okay. But they shut it down like it didn't exist. So, anyway, the story that next morning was exactly what I just said. I read it myself. But here's what they failed to realize. See, their plan was bulletproof because they assumed that when they interrupted the stream before the movie ever actually started, they could easily say that there never was a movie. And that was the story they were going to sell to the world. And fortunately for me, I was smart enough, call it, you know, um, um, some type of perception, I don't know, uh, uh, intuitive luck, I don't know. But I had the forethought of making a separate, um, a separate print of the film to be screened at the Director's Guild. So what everybody assumed was that I was gonna put out one live global feed of the digital stream and we were all gonna work off that same stream, which is what I did for the rest of the world. But just to make sure there was no glitches, just to make sure that everything went off without a hitch, I printed a 4K digital copy of the film separately. So when they froze it for the rest of the world, I stopped and I said, hold on, I froze the movie. I got up on stage, I said, we've been hacked. They've stopped the flow of the film. We were 10 minutes into the screening. And I don't want to give away any answers because people have paid all over the world to learn this information at the same time. I set it up this way to make sure that everybody could learn the information at the same time. So there would be no twisting the story. There would be no lies. There would be no ways that they could get in there and screw things up. Because if we all learn the information at the same time, there would be no press that could you know, get ahead of it and, and try and, and change my words or twist my words or put a different spin on it or whatever. So we put that print on hold. 
I asked everybody what they thought I should do. And everybody got up, some people left. We probably lost about 50 people during all of that. But the rest of the people stayed. And that was about 650 people. And everybody sat there and was cheering, saying, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. One of the most prominent voices in that crowd was Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette came up to the front of the stage and she started yelling and screaming and saying, Corey, you need to do this now. Do not let them intimidate you. And I said, it's not intimidation. I'm trying to be fair to all the people who paid money to, to experience this at the same time. She says, I understand, but that doesn't matter right now. You've got the press here. You've got us here supporting you. You've got the whole world watching. What matters is what happens in this room. You need to continue the film because if you don't, they may not come back. If you try to reschedule, it may not happen. And boy, was she right because the next day, the whole world was shut down from the quarantine. If I didn't continue playing the movie that night, that story that came out at 5 a.m. would have flown. They would have pushed that agenda that the movie didn't exist. So thank God for Rosanna Arquette. Thank God for her intellect and her foresight in pushing me towards doing the right thing and continuing the film. So I did, and the film played on. So the next story that came out at 6 a.m. was from Entertainment Weekly, was from Los Angeles Times. And they were saying, we saw the film, Rolling Stone. We saw the film, the film played. And that's when they twisted it again. Not those three, those three all wrote what they experienced and gave a proper review. but. AP, who was the only organization that got a copy of the film ahead of time. They had promised me an exclusive interview. AP said, we're gonna do a huge exclusive for you. We're gonna get really into this. We're gonna really support you. Please submit to us a copy of the film with a watermark. And we promise we won't show anybody. We won't give a lead, but we need it for research so that when the reporter comes to talk to you, he'll know what he's talking about because it's going to drop, the story's going to drop like at 5 a.m. immediately after the screening before you wake up in the morning. So we have to get your quote, you know, right before the premiere. And the only way to talk about these things right before the premiere is if the reporter's already seen it. So with confidence, with an NDA, please send us that film. So we'd been asked by hundreds of reporters. We've been asked by hundreds of media outlets, but we said no to everybody. But the one company we gave it to was AP. And we gave them a copy of the film. And an hour before we were supposed to do this photo shoot and interview the day of the premiere, which I had set time aside from them to go shoot down by my billboard because we put up a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. And before we went down to shoot, I get a call that they were backing out. And I said, what do you mean they're backing out? We have an ironclad deal. And my publicist said, no, they decided that it wasn't worth their time because there's no new information in the film and no new allegations that make it worth it for them to talk about. It's a nothing burger. So that's what started the trend. If you look at what came out of AP, you look at what came out of everybody that next morning, the current constant theme was, yes, the movie did play, but 
it was a nothing burger. There was no new information. We've heard all these names before. And then they started this rumor that Feldman's been saying the name of Sheen for years. That started with Judy Haim on the Dr. Oz show. We even put that clip in the movie just to show her saying, oh yeah, he's been saying Charlie Sheen's name for years. Really? Prove it. Show me anywhere else in history where you heard me utter those words. Anytime, anywhere, it never happened because I never uttered those words. It was very difficult to utter those words. And you saw me uttering them for the first time on screen and how emotionally troubling it was for me to get those words out. And for every person we interviewed to get those words out. And that's another thing <clears throat> is they come back on me and they say, oh, no, 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 no. Sheen denied it. Sheen's publicist says, you know, take a look at the source. Listen to Judy Ames, she's the mother. Okay, but wait a minute, hold on a second. Why would the mother go against me? Why would the mother not want the truth out? What does she have to hide? And the truth is, there's a lot. There's a lot that we didn't put in the documentary. You talked about a potential sequel. Let me tell you something. We have so much more data so much more information. People came forward with confessions about things that that mother did when she was supposed to be a mom and she wasn't a mom at all. There were things that, you know, we heard about Charlie's character and the things he's done to other women, you know, but we didn't put any of that in the film because our lawyers told us that we could not. If we wanted to get the film released, we had to keep it very singular and very focused on what the accusations and the claims were meant to be. As soon as we started stepping outside of that very small box they put us in, we were penalized. And by the way, the film almost didn't come out at all because the day before it's released or three days before it's released, we were slapped with the bill for the insurance, which was $1.3 million on a $300,000 budget film. I spent $300,000 on that film out of my own pocket. I got it done. That was it. I took, I took some risks. Okay, but I knew that through the next couple of years I could make that money back. It wasn't that big of a risk. I put a few years of my hard earned work into it, every penny that I could muster and I got it done. But then all of a sudden you're hit with a bill for $1.3 million to get the insurance to put that movie out. So when I got that bill, I was like, well, that's it. It's done. I can't produce a million dollars overnight. And through literally a blessing, a friend of mine brought me an investor the next morning out of nowhere, a godsend, an angel who actually put his name on the line and backed me for the 1.3. And I thought, well, that's okay. Because look, we're selling tickets in historic volume. Nobody's ever sold this amount of pre-sale tickets for a digital distribution premiere of anything ever, not even for live concert events. Nothing had ever pre-sold to that level. And the CEO of OnStream Media actually put that into a press release, which of course was never picked up by the press, but he talked about the hacking that night. He talked about the multiple DDoS server attacks that the company experienced both 
the premiere night, and again on the second screening the next day. Insurmountable attacks, literally millions of signals being sent to their uh, uh, platform all at the same time, which overcrowded the signal and wouldn't allow it to get through. It shut it down. And they did it twice to make sure that neither screening could happen as scheduled. So yeah, very, very troubling, very troubling. But anyway, the point being, they got it shut down and the CEO said, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never seen any other live presentation from, we've done events with Hillary Clinton, we've done events with the Obamas, we've done events with um, uh, um, Miley Cyrus. And the biggest event that we ever had prior to this was, I believe it was the Allman Brothers, something like that, like a big, you know, a big rock band that had done almost as well as us. But they put all this into a press release. And they said, but the biggest event that we ever had leading up to the day of the event in pre-sales was this. And by the way, let me mention to you that nobody had ever released a new brand new feature film premiere on digital streaming services before that. Now it's wow. the standard. Now it's the standard. Everybody's doing it. The same exact ticket price that we charge, $20. Many of them say $19.99. But it's the same ticket price. It's the same format. It's my invention. I'm the one who launched the idea of digital streaming platform to premiere a film globally. It had never happened before my truth. And it has been the constant since my truth. So not only did they steal my idea, not only did they steal my business plan and how we were going to do it, but they shut it down and made it look like I never even did what I promised to do. So with all that frustration, I took the film down after four days. I let the people, who, as many people who had paid for it and could hear about the problem, I left it up for four days running continuously. So if you'd paid for it, you could watch it 10 times in a row if you wanted to. I just left it open, I said, watch it. You paid 20 bucks, watch it as many times as you want, show as many friends as you want. I don't even care. Cause I knew that I had already lost the lion's share of the money. It would never be recovered. There were literally hundreds of fake copies all over YouTube within hours, all over the internet. But there was much worse, much more devious than that. They literally created a, a, a simultaneous website that went up at the exact moment that our film was hacked. It was a copycat site with the exact same script on the front of the page. They stole the stream in real time and when they put the movie up, it was under a uh, URL called mytruthsdoc.com. Our actual URL is mytruthdoc.com. They put it under mytruths with an S, doc.com. They moved it up to the top of the Google News search. They moved ours down to like the third or fourth item in the Google News search. They, can, they took control of the wiki page. If you go to wiki or IMDb right now, you will not find anything positive about me or my film. If you look down in the description of the film, you'll see a bunch of links and those links lead to fake 
allegations and news stories created by the Wolfpack. Who, by the way, are, you know, beside we know Judy Haynes involved, but these girls that were spies that came into my home <clears throat> during my summer tour and pretended to be just regular musicians who were in fact working with Marilyn Manson as part of a setup to silence me and to make false allegations against me and destroy my credibility as a musician. Wow. So how much do you think you lost in terms of piracy, ticket sales, revenue? A billion dollars. Holy shit. Okay, so the film, what we have screenshots of, we have um, 2 million views sorted, you know, 100,000 here, a couple hundred thousand there, you know, 20,000 here, 50,000 there. But you look at all the various YouTube pages that we're just talking YouTube alone. 2 million views. 2 million views at $20 per ticket is what? A lot. $80 million. Yeah, 80 million, yeah. 80 million. Yeah. So that's just YouTube alone. That's not including the fake alternate website that they put up, which, by the way, started selling tickets, streaming our film, and selling tickets for $30 a piece, where we were only selling ours for 20 So they were not only selling our tickets, but selling them for more money. Then you had it coming out on all these BitTorrent sites, which we had no way of controlling. Then you had people making professional looking DVDs, studio level quality DVDs being promoted on the web as manufactured and approved by me. Packaged, I mean, brilliantly, perfectly packaged as if the movie had been out for four months and they had the time to do it. So they made up mocks, mock-ups, and they screenshotted the mock-ups and made it look like a really nice package with my art, with my film, everything. So yeah, when you add together all of the film loss, all of the money, all of the money that we spent on marketing and promotion, and then you talk about the damages personally and professionally, it's a lifetime. So there were serious allegations made against Charlie Sheen in the documentary. What is the present status of those allegations? I saw that he denied straight away. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the question? The, the allegations against Charlie Sheen were denied yeah. right away by him. What yeah. is the status of that? Has, has he been indicted for anything? Are you joking? Are you joking? He's untouchable. Let's put it this way. I would put him in the same class as Donald Trump. And Prince Andrew. And Prince Andrew. <laughs> so you've been campaigning then to extend the statute of limitations and have new laws to protect kids in Hollywood. Could you not tell us a bit? Not just campaigning. No, we passed those laws. I was part of actively passing the laws in both New York and California Actually, the reason, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons why many of the uh, victims in the Jeffrey Epstein case were able to come forward and bring those charges, and the reason why R. Kelly is in, in prison right now, are both as a result of the law that we passed in New York, which was the CVA, the Child Victims Act, which allowed for the statute of limitations to be dropped in the city and the state of New York and also allowed for a one-year window for victims from any time 
to be able to come forward for the first time in my lifetime and be able to get justice for anything that might have happened. Now, that doesn't allow for criminal trials, but it does allow for, uh, for, for civil trials. Now, that was in New York. The following year, we did a very similar law in California, except the one that we did in California not only pushed back the statute, but it also gave a three-year window for victims and survivors to be able to come forward and get justice. So both of those laws are currently still active in both states, by the way. So if you are a victim, please take advantage of this window. Please come forward. Unfortunately for me, it doesn't help me at all. So it was great doing this. I'm glad that I was able to help. I'm glad that I was able to bring hope to survivors. But for me personally, um, I'm exempt because the people that abused me were not Charlie Sheen. I was not raped by Charlie Sheen. I was not abused by him. He never did anything personally to me other than try to bribe me to stop me from doing it. But aside from that, he never did anything to me. So that's not my claim. And I can't go after him. You know who I can go after? I can go after two deadbeats who, you know, worm their way around Hollywood doing odd jobs. One of them spends his time half in Canada and half in Mexico to avoid extradition because he's already wanted for child pedophilia and sex trafficking. Uh, he can't be found. His name is John Grissom. Uh, Alfie, however, the other guy is still around. I don't know where he is. He was working for the Dodgers. <laughs> I'm sure bringing little kids into the dugout and working for a limousine company where he could ploy kids with alcohol and put them in the back of his limo. That's what he was doing when we found him when I did Dr. Oz and we announced his name for the first time. Well, congratulations on the statutes of limitations work. I've interviewed victims of Epstein, Nygaard, Nygaard's son, and it's so frustrating when that statute of limitations lapses. Yeah, have you spoken to Kai? Spot, yeah, we interviewed Kai. Yes, great guy. Absolutely. Great guy. Love him. We've been talking a lot. I actually have been helping get some victims into uh, the lawyers for the Nygaard case because, as it turns out, I know a lot of them. Uh, you know, I went to the Playboy Mansion on a pretty regular basis. And as a patron of the Playboy Mansion, being up there on a Sunday, a lot of times I would hear the girls saying they were leaving to go to this pamper party. Pamper party? What is that? What is that? And they would say, oh, you know, we go over to this guy's house, this guy, Peter Nygaard, we go to his house, he has massages, and it's like a spa day, but then some of us are really lucky, and he hands out envelopes of cash. And I was like, okay, that sounds like prostitution to me, but I don't know. And I didn't really understand what any of it was about. I didn't realize that it was all a ploy and a way to lure girls in by promising you know spa days or gifts of money or whatever and it wasn't prostitution by any stretch it was manipulation and him making girls believe that they were getting you know just well taken care of by this very generous man who obviously had his own plans and his own agenda yeah and they get to the island and have their passports confiscated and if they didn't comply they would be drugged and assaulted and if people want to see that interview, I'll put it in the description box below the video my interview with Kai. What are your thoughts on the Epstein case? Uh, don't get me started. I think it's all connected, my friend. It's all connected. I know this for a fact. Um, 
Epstein is 100% connected to Hollywood. So is Peter Nygaard. Um, Epstein is obviously very connected to the high up political end, um, as was Nygaard. Uh, the connections draw deep. And to me, the main, the main thing people should be investigating in Hollywood is Brian Singer. How is this going ignored? How is Brian Singer getting a pass? Yeah, okay, he's not working, but he's getting a pass. Let's make no mistakes about that. Brian Singer continued to thrive in his career all the way up until the Queen movie, right? Even though everybody knew what he was doing behind the scenes. Everybody knew about the parties, quote, parties at his house, uh, where he was doing just god-awful things to people, along with his partners, the people that we all exposed in the film, in My Truth. We talk about all of them. Um, but Brian Singer, how is he connected to Brock Pierce? How is Brock Pierce connected to Charlie Sheen? How are they connected to Jeffrey Epstein? Follow the breadcrumbs. And I'm pretty sure that anybody can see that these things go all the way to the top and they're well hidden. But at the end of the day, Sean, I'm not a private investigator. I'm not a detective. I'm basically just considered a big mouth who's, you know, talking out of his ass. So what do I know? The fact that that reaction has occurred <laughs> proves that you're over the target and you have many people all over the world who love and support you. So don't underestimate the importance of the work you're doing that you've done and going forward. I urge you just to keep going on this crusade and exposing these bastards. Now we've seen uh, Ghislaine Maxwell get arrested, the procurer. We saw Jean-Luc Brunel get arrested. Do you think they will slip through the cracks of the legal system or justice will be served? I guess we're gonna find out really you know, soon, if there was any truth to any of the QAnon stuff, right? I mean, you know, all they've done for the last four years since Donald Trump was in office is talk about how everybody on the left side is pedophiles and all the people on the right are saintly. So we're going to find out what Joe Biden does with this. By the way, I think I've made it kind of clear, but I'm going to be making a very, you know, asserted effort to try to get FaceTime with President Biden. FaceTime with, with Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, because I am told that they care very much about sex trafficking and that that is a big issue for them. Kamala Harris was, was actually, you know, she, she cut her teeth on helping support sex trafficking victims. Um, that was like her big thing in San Francisco, what she did. So I'm very hopeful that they want to get to the bottom of this. And I'm hopeful that they will at some point take a meeting with me and at least hear my story and maybe put some type of um, a collation together. We've got to get to the bottom of it. And I hope to God that the people that are in power are going to do something this term and they're going to listen. And I pray that they take a meeting with me. I pray that they hear my story and all the things. Because you have to understand one thing is that obviously I'm never gonna talk about this, as I said, I'm never gonna talk about this publicly again unless there is a major cultural shift. And that there, that there has to be a major change 
to where people like me are taken seriously and given the respect that we deserve. So we don't have to live in fear every day because I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I've got to move on. I mean, I have to, I'm in trauma. I'm, I'm experiencing PTSD. I cry myself to sleep every night. I'm living in fear on a daily basis. Um, my life is in shambles. Well, it's those titans of the old media that are orchestrating this against you. And it's the new media like YouTube, the platforms that you're on now that make the spreading of this word possible. So I commend you for keeping it going. And what people need to understand is there was a reason why I had to spend $1.3 million on insurance to get this truth out. How much did they spend on out of shadows for insurance? How much did they spend on fall of cabal for insurance? Zero dollars, zero, zero. Why? Because they were not tried and true facts that could be thrown against the wall and verified in a court of law if they had to be. There was not two and three corroborators of every fact. These are the specific guidelines that they look for when approving an insurance policy. So therefore, you can't just go out there and spat a bunch of stuff and put it into a movie like mine. So the fact is, when you see movies like this where they're just spouting off celebrity names and you know Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino, everybody, everybody's part of it. They're not all part of it. I can tell you that much. I've worked with these people. They're not all part of it. But that said, I believe that a lot of people look the other way. And a lot of people are certainly looking the other way when it comes to my treatment. Nobody cares about what happens to Corey Feldman as long as the blood's not on their hands. That's what I feel. And um, it's, it's heartbreaking, man. You got to understand, this was my family growing up. That's all I've known. And I don't know what to do with the rest of my life if I can't continue doing what I do, but how do I go back to work feeling safe? How do I feel like anybody's gonna protect me? My own, my own union gaslit me and threw me under the bus because of Marilyn Manson's girlfriends. That's the reality. Marilyn Manson's girlfriends called the president of SAG and she took their call as some random girls who are not a part of SAG they are not union actresses, nothing. It didn't happen on a SAG set, supposedly, whatever their false claims are. How did that involve the union? What business would it have been of Gabrielle Carteris's about any allegations against me if they weren't in a court of law? What would that have to do with me setting up legislation and protecting children? Nothing, nothing. I was doing a very specific job. I was part of a committee to create legislation to protect the laws in regards to children on the set in the workplace. That was my mission. That was what I was there to do. Gabrielle took a call from a woman who was not a SAG actress, had nothing to do with SAG. And it just so happened to be the day of a town hall that I was supposed to do for the entire union to put out my, my new laws and my new legislation to protect children. What would have been so bad about me just putting that out there? What would have been so bad about just allowing me to go through with that conference and getting the information out of how we could change the laws? And by the way, let me say this, 
This was three days before the new contracts were voted on. And those new contracts left out any language pertaining to the protection of children. Okay? So I was trying to implement these changes before the vote. That's why I had the town hall set up. And the day of the town hall, I was asked to step down. All because Gabrielle had a conversation with this woman named Jackie, who we have proven through the media was a girlfriend of Marilyn Manson. Have you tried yoga and meditation, Corey? <laughs> yeah, I meditate. I pray more than anything. I'm a very spiritual person and I wouldn't still be alive if it wasn't for the hand of God. I can assure you that. Have you read The Little Prince, the book? Um, I think when I was a kid. Well, he's following his heart and you're following your heart and I commend you for what you're doing. Really appreciate you spending this time with us. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching this who are worried about their kids? Well, we can never stop fighting for the kids. We can never stop fighting for what's right. Please support kids too. Please follow Child USA. And even if I'm not going to be the guy that's, you know, leading the charge anymore because I just can't emotionally take anymore. Um, I will never stop fighting behind the scenes. I will never stop fighting for children. And I also want to say one other thing on record. There's been horrible, disgusting accusations leveled against me by these girls, not by anybody else. Just very clearly, it's the same three women since three years ago. They all work together, Jackie, Paulina, Margot. They're all part of Manson's world. I can prove it all day. I've got investigators that have put all of this evidence together so that if there ever was a court case, we're going to nail them to the cross. Um, but I just want to say that I would never harm another human being that was innocent, no matter what. You couldn't pay me. You couldn't force me. You couldn't bribe me to ever take advantage of another human because it's not in my fiber. I don't know how to do that. I know how to love. I know how to give compassion. I'm an artist and I wear my heart on my sleeve as many people know. I love everybody and I hope and pray for the healing of children and of women who've been abused. So I pray for all of us. And I pray that God helps us through this because I don't know where I'm going to find my skin. But I'm planning on taking the film down. Um, I'm taking the film down after March 10th. I mean, I suppose if there, you know, the film comes down March 10th, it's on sale right now for $10. You can find it at mytruthdoc.com. I want as many people to experience it and watch it before I take it down as possible. Um, but once I... I, I, I have to move on and, and I just want people to know I've stuck it out for a year. I've done my absolute best. I've, I've dealt with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of torture, but, and my, my wife, God bless her. She has been through so much. My child has been through so much. They've had to watch their family members struggle in this fear. They've had to watch these awful, horrible lies being told about the man that they love. So I just want to tell everybody enough is enough. I've got to stop it. But that said, I'm giving you until the 10th. And if for some reason there was a tremendous 
outpouring of love and support and we just started selling you know oogles of tickets all of a sudden and everybody was wanting to watch the film i would say okay fine we'll extend it you know till the end of march and that's as far as i could go with it because again i don't think it's worth it if i'm being ignored you know and i know that the people in the, the world aren't ignoring me the public isn't ignoring me but but sean we're selling a hundred tickets every three weeks. That's just not worth it. It's not worth the pain. And I'm not talking financially, I'm talking viewership. And then people say, well, why don't you just put it out for free? You know, if you really cared, you'd put it out for free. Well, yeah, except for the fact that it's a commodity and somebody will be making money on it. So do I want people making money on my message? Is that what I want? Do I want them draining and liquidizing this even further? Or do I want to hold it close to my heart and maybe keep it right there forever because it's mine and I made it and I own it. And it's the one thing that I've got that tells me that this all really happened. So I hope people can understand and respect my choice. I know there's going to be people saying I'm a quitter and I'm, you know, I gave up and all this stuff, but you know what, if anybody had stood with me, I would keep fighting. To get this far, you are a brave soul and definitely not a quitter. And you're, the purity of your soul has just been resonating for this past hour. I've got your back. You're going to see when this video goes out, the viewers are going to have your back. And there's just so many people all over the world just rooting for you and just wishing you to continue and succeed. So I urge people, if you go in the description box, you'll see the link to the documentary. I watched it. Really a heartbreaking moment when you cut your hair. But I won't tell people what that's about. They can watch it and find that out for themselves. So again, huge thank you for coming on. And everybody watching this, um, please go down the description box for the links. God bless us all. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you, Corey.